Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm Tim Cronin. Tim, today, as you know, we're going to be talking about focus groups with a emphasis on online focus groups. And I know that you've had a lot of experience with both of these, including a lot of positive experiences with online focus groups. So why don't you take the lead on this one? Yeah. So, you know, we still do live focus groups from time to time, but increasingly we've been doing a lot more of them online. I expect a lot of the people listening already understand the benefits and value of doing focus groups on your cases for a number of reasons. They can identify important issues or problem areas. They can show you how different kinds of jurors are likely to respond to different issues, which helps for jury selection and figuring out what kind of questions you need to ask. You can do them at different points in your cases. You can do them early to get an idea of the type of facts the participants are keying in on or what they'd like to know more about and how it would influence their decision, which helps you focus your discovery efforts. If you test different strategies, they can show you which ones are likely to work or backfire. In other words, you can submit different versions online to see if people key in on different things or have different responses. They can give you a better idea of the value of the case to help you make settlement decisions. Recently, Eric, John and I had a case we were about to go try down in Florida, and we actually used the focus group results with the adjuster who ended up contacting us directly when we were trying to see if we could settle the case right before. And the adjuster was struggling to understand our valuation. And we explained the simple issues in the case and how people respond to it based on our focus group results and then our numbers. And we actually gave our focus group results to the adjuster and it resulted in the case immediately settling. I don't know if we've ever directly provided it to the other side like that. Before, there was an agreement the adjuster couldn't share it with the lawyers, but we'll often share it with the mediator, and the mediator can talk about what our results are. They help tremendously in organizing the case in advance of trial. If you do a live focus group, which again, we still do, and I think there's different benefits to doing live ones that you can't get from online, like the direct discussion between people. What we present is a fairly traditional focus group, I think. We present a group of people with a neutral set of facts then the plaintiff's case, then the defendant's case. After each portion, we distribute written questionnaires to elicit responses. Then at the end, we split everyone up into smaller groups of six to 12 and record them deliberating. The thing you don't get from online ones is those deliberations, hearing people like bounce their ideas off of each other. Alternatively, I know John does this sometimes with a live one. You could do a mock voir dire see how people are responding to different questions, do a practice opening statement, and then open it up to a Q&A session. But the problem with doing live focus groups or the benefit you don't have from doing it that you do from online is difficulty getting participants that actually represent the jury pool, getting a large enough sample size that the results are meaningful and the cost and time associated is meaningful. So for that reason, I think an increasingly utilized tool that we're using more, and I think a lot of lawyers are, are online focus groups. They help you get more results faster for cheaper with the ability of testing as many different approaches as you can think of. If I could just go back to uh, one of your earlier comments, when you approach an adjuster with your opinion, it brings to mind Upton Sinclair's rather famous quote, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like, there's a bias there. You know, you can argue all day long with an adjuster and, and vice versa. The adjuster can tell you the case isn't worth anything. 
And there's all that bias. But when you bring either 10 or 30 or maybe 500 neutral voices into it, it just changes the dynamics. Yeah. And so in that case, we'd been trying to negotiate for there'd been two failed mediations and continued negotiations over a few months. And John and I were about to try the case the next day. But we'd never made a policy limit demand because we wanted the full policy, which was quite large. And we thought if we demand it too early, they're going to think, you know, we're just negotiating down from that. So finally, the day before we're about to start trial, we made it and said, this is non-negotiable. And we got a call directly from the adjuster going around the lawyers and saying, look, here's the problem I'm having. Both of the lawyers we've hired have not valued this case at anywhere close to that. And they're telling me we can win for this reason and this reason and this reason. And we explained the simplicity of the case that really just came down to an agency issue because they were admitting that what a person did was negligent but disputing agency and two kids got severely burned. So that was the reason for our valuation. And the adjuster was struggling with it. And John just started saying, let me tell you what our focus groups are so you know where we're coming from and why we're never going under that policy. We sent it and not only showed her the success rate on the like the actual factual question for the jury to decide, but how big the numbers were. And it gave her the cover as an adjuster. You have to have cover. I imagine you pay a huge amount of money. You're going to have questions from people above you about why you did it. You better be able to cover your butt. And so it gave the adjuster that cover and the case settled like 10 minutes later. Let me go back on one other thing because I'm older. <laughs> I'm going to tell you my first experience with the focus group. It was back in the mid 1990s. And back then it was a matter of you go to a special facility that had the ability to recruit somehow. They got 30 people, as I recall, together and they had rooms. You could watch them and listen into the deliberations through one way glass. You could see what's going on. And it was very expensive. As I recall, back in those dollars, it was about $30,000 to run a focus group, which would be, as I recall, about four, five, six hours. Do you still sometimes have in-person focus groups? Yeah, we still do. We do them here. We don't go use a service typically. By here, it's at the Simon Law Firm. We're in St. Louis. Right. And we take them through an entrance where they hopefully don't notice the name of the law firm because then you can look us up and figure out which side we're probably on. But we have the stadium room right here and we bring them in here and we have breakfast laid out for them and we pay them some certain amount for four hours for that day. And there's usually, I don't know, 25 to 30 people, which means you probably aren't getting a good representation of the jury eligible population of the trial venue you're in. And we tell them exactly how it's going to work. And then we try to make like a short one to two page neutral presentation of like, this is generally what the case is about. And here's some facts everybody agrees on. And then give them a questionnaire to figure out like, what do you want to know more about? Are you already leaning one way? Try to get an idea of what people think about before you do the advocacy of both sides. Take a short break. And then we do, it's almost like a plaintiff's closing argument. And we'll show them exhibits and stuff and then another questionnaire. And then we do the defense side. And it's important that you try to actually do as good of a job as you can. For the, otherwise, what's the point of the focus group? Is that difficult? It can be difficult. I think it helps you prepare for trial. You make sure you wrap your head around everything the other side is saying so you can figure out your arguments against it. I mean, you can go back and look at briefing that's been done in the case and then just go through their questions they ask of your expert and the direct of their expert and stuff. You can figure out what they're saying pretty easy. I know that when I've prepared a defense closing argument, I keep going back and going, am I really bringing it? 
Am I really, yeah. really bringing it? Well, hard? I think I probably am incapable of doing as well of a job as the defense counsel who spent two years thinking about it and has represented defendants in trial over and over again. But you try to, yeah. you try to bring right. it as best you can. And then they fill out another questionnaire. And so you're getting their individual responses and then you split them up into groups of like nine or 10 or whatever. And you listen to them deliberate, but you're really not getting that many results. You know, you don't know how predictive it can be because the type of people who might participate in a focus group isn't exactly going to be representative of the people who will all get exactly. a summons to come into trial. So we still do them. And I think the main benefit of doing live ones is the deliberations, like listening to people talk out and then start to like butt heads with each other. And that doesn't happen in the online ones. But in the online ones, you're able to select a group of persons that represent the jury eligible population of the trial venue. I mean, you say, like, I want people only from this area or similar counties, and it needs to be like the demographics have to be representative of what it is in that venue and what we're likely to see in the jury pool. I remember there were times where we would try to provoke the quiet people to speak up more. Yeah. Because there's some people that just won't say anything. Right. Do you sometimes do that when you have a live group? You know, with a live group, after the deliberations, sometimes if we have like two groups, I'll go in one room and John will go in another room and we'll start trying to ask questions and specifically to the people who weren't really talking yeah. that much. But I mean, the same kind of people who in actual deliberations probably aren't going to use their voice as much, but you still want to know what they're thinking. Exactly. So, you know, online ones, you get results from a far larger pool of people. The more data you have, as you know, Eric, the more reliable and useful the results. You can start to see patterns like certain demographic groups having a tendency to lean one way or another on particular issues. Find patterns amongst people who tend to find against your client and that allow you to identify and voir dire with particular questions. There's quite a few online focus group companies out there that you can use and compare prices amongst. Some are more expensive, some are cheaper. You know, some you do most of the work, others they'll do a lot more of it. Marketing research companies have been using online focus groups for years. It's quickly expanding in our industry. Two that I've used a lot are eJury.com and then Empirical Justice, which is run by John Campbell. But there's others like onlineverdict.com, virtualjury.com. I'm sure there's a whole bunch that have popped up in the last few years since it's become more popular that I haven't used. But for all these things, the steps should be basically the same and fairly simple. Create an account, prepare a case summary, similar to what you might prepare for a live one. Submit it to the company's website. It'll consist of facts from the perspective of each party, maybe some exhibits like photos, things like that, the jury questions that will be on your verdict form. And then you can come up with personal questions designed to get additional feedback of whatever you want. That case submission is posted to a secure location. First of all, the focus group company does a conflict check before you send them your stuff so that they can make sure the other side hasn't already sent them one, et cetera. That case submission is posted to a secure location. The participants who are jury eligible and fit the venue demographics that you set will be notified that a new case has been posted. All these companies just have like pools of people that they have that participate that get notifications that they have a new one and they can get online and read it and do their stuff and they get paid. My understanding from one of these services is that they don't necessarily have people all signed up, but they have people who have gone to for instance, Amazon or Amazon Turk looking for yeah. piecework. Basically, I don't know what they're paid, but it's not a lot, but it's enough to motivate them to sit down and read yeah. or watch a video and react to it. Right. And it may be a pool potentially of thousands of people, and it could be from all over the country, all over the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's ones that are more focused in different regions, but some of them like e-jury, you tell them, here's where I'm trying the cases. I want all jurors from this county. And they've got it. I mean, then they only get people from that county, whether it's in Minnesota or Louisiana or Florida or whatever. 
And because people don't have to go anywhere and it's just from the comfort of their home, they don't get paid as much as the cost you have to pay to bring them in live for four hours. The company then typically reviews the responses to make sure an adequate effort was made. So you're not just getting, you know, somebody who clicked and clicked on answers to garbage in, garbage out, right? The participants are paid based on the length of the case submission. Once the minimum number of verdicts are submitted, usually within a week, you'll get tabulated and analyzed juror feedback emailed back to you. In addition to the answers each juror individually gave, that might just be like, what are the three things that you thought were the strongest about the plaintiff's case? Or was there one particular thing that made you not want the plaintiff to get an award of money? You know, I mean, you can come up with whatever you want. And so you can read all those results. You get a variety of statistical information ranging from average verdict for demographic segment, percentage of liability assigned for different demographic segments, how the answers from potential voir dire questions line up with likelihood of finding in your client's favor. If you did different versions, testing different approaches, and this is, I think this is the biggest value you get from it because it costs less, you could do it. For example, whether you think it's a good idea for your client to admit that they share some fault, that can have big implications of how the jury sees the case and what they may do. You can test both and then see if the results are different based on those different strategies or asking for different amounts. See how the results differed amongst those different submissions. Did your liability percentages go down if you asked for more money? So the possibilities are really, really limitless. As I said, whether live or online, you have to give the opposition equal time, equal weight, equal persuasive power. If you aren't presenting the most effective opposition arguments you can think of, you're wasting your time and your money. Do you usually have a consultation with the service, like in person? And the reason I'm asking is they've done a lot of this, and so have you, but you might have a way of asking the question and presenting the issue where they go, oh, we've had a lot of that where people wish they went back and tweaked it this way to get a better answer. It depends on the service. So, you know, if we use John's service, he'll do that. I mean, it might not be in person, but we'll have a phone call after I submit it. He may have some ideas like, hey, you might want to phrase this question differently or do this differently. I think it'll help you get the answers that you want to try to find out. Others, it's they might have some formatting issues, but, you know, it's your party. You submit what you want to submit. How many people do you look for responding? You know, it depends. Sometimes we'll do two of them, one like halfway through the case and one at the end. And maybe the first one will only get 50 people and then the second one, 100 We've done others where we did two different versions and did 100 people a piece. But, you know, you get out of these focus groups what you put in. Spend time thinking about the follow-up questions. Try to include questions that mirror what you might ask in voir dire that you think might identify which jurors are good or bad for the case. The first one of these online ones that I think we did was that Coon case, and we tried it in 2016. We have a podcast on that case. Yeah, we do. It's an opioid overprescription case. So we did an initial online focus group with e-jury before I took the defendant's experts to try to get an idea of, are there things that people are looking for or thinking about that I haven't touched on the case that I better try to address and fix with the defendant's experts? So we got 50 results all from the venue where the case was being tried, which was here in St. Louis City, 50 results for about $3,000, which is not very expensive. The responses helped us realize some issues we had because they were the things most frequently being cited in the defendant's favor by the participants. It let me know topics I could bring up in voir dire. John actually did voir dire that were most likely to identify the people that would be against us. It let me know I had some work to do with defendants experts to try and take those issues and turn them around in our favor. But we also found out the liability results were better than we had expected. Then about a month before trial, we did another one 
through Empirical Justice, John Campbell's company. And on my second round, I did four different versions, two different fact versions, one that tested out different approaches for my client on the stand because he was getting opioids. He was asking for opioids. And it was whether he should say, look, I was addicted and I don't know what I was thinking. I just wanted the drugs, but I take some responsibility or no, I trusted my doctor. And I don't take any because we knew directly they were going to say, do you take responsibility for some of this? We knew that. Then for each of those different fact versions, I asked half the people for a certain amount in damages and the other half I asked for a higher amount. I wanted to see if asking for more hurt our liability chances, if there was a big difference in amount awarded based on amount asked for. And the results were like eye popping. So we had 200 participants. So 50 in each one of those groups. Instead of just having text to read, Empirical Justice had a video with someone reading the presentation and with a PowerPoint that laid out bullet points of what was being said. The results were much stronger than the previous run. Higher percentages of fault being assigned to the defendant, higher damage numbers. It confirmed our belief that the defendant's expert depots had gone really well for us, like it had improved our case and that the changes we made to how we presented the case were working. So the fault percentages on average for those 200 people, Eric, were within a few points of what ultimately happened at trial. I've never really relied on focus groups to be predictive. In the past, it's monopoly money, right? But with these things, the more people you get, if you do it right, it can help a little bit more with predicting what you think your results might be. I'm thinking of the book, The Wisdom of Crowds by James Surowiecki, the idea that these groups of people are much smarter than any one member of the group. And when you pile 200 people into the group or even 100, now you're nullifying the fallacy of small numbers where if you only had 10 or 12, you might get a different number because it's a smaller sample. But now you have to come down to the 12, right? A jury, you have to come back down to the 12. So it's it's surprising that it's that predictive. Are you finding that's a trend? But with so many responses and the individual questions we asked, We had a much better idea with some particular questions we could ask, like, who here thinks the patient is more responsible for their own health care than the doctor? That particular question, which we asked in the focus group, was like extremely predictive. If somebody said, I think it's your health care, you're more responsible for your own health care than the doctor, we were never winning with that person. We just weren't. And so we knew with that question, it told us the people on our panel who weren't going to go for us just weren't. And then we're able to try to focus on them with other issues that you typically get people off on and get them off. So it gave us a good idea of, yeah, you're down to 12, but those 12 are far more likely to be the people that were giving us big numbers and finding in our favor. So the two different strategies we tested for our client's approach on the stand revealed no meaningful difference, which was kind of surprising to me. And most importantly, it revealed strongly that the more we asked for, the more we got without really affecting liability at all. Despite asking for massively more money, our liability percentages only took a very slight dip and our damage results went way up. So it let us know what we had with our case. We had no real interest in talking about settlement at that point, and the other side wasn't seeing it the same way at all. So the case was getting tried. It gave us the key issues we needed to hammer on, those we had to worry about and frame for the jury. It gave us an idea on the relationship between what we asked for and what we got, So we had three different amounts we asked to award between the first focus group and then the second focus group split up into different groups. We consistently got 33% of what we asked for, consistently. So if you went up 
If you asked for 10 million, we were getting 33% of it. If you asked for 30, we were getting 33% of it. If you asked for 50, we were getting 33% of it. That seems counterintuitive, but they have happened on a number of cases, as I understand it, where you ask for more and you're not aggravating the jury. You're not annoying them right. or alienating them. If they're upset about the conduct, you know, they're anchored with a higher number. They probably aren't going to your number, but they're more likely to go up on what they're willing to give. So at trial, we got 36% of what we asked for, which was a lot. I think I asked for $49 million. We got 17.6. A lot of it was punitives. And I truly believe we would not have gotten the result we did if not for those focus groups. And so we increasingly use them often. I mean, not in every single case. You have to figure out, you know, from a financial perspective, is it a case with difficult enough issues that you're going to get enough of a benefit from it because you're spending your client's money that'll come out of their pocket if you win? And then is it a significant enough case that how many people do you do? So you still have to make those decisions, but it makes it a lot easier than for a live one where you're spending a lot of money and not getting as much data. What's your gut feeling about how many hours or days you'll put into that to do it right? It takes about three days to write it correctly, but you're organizing your case and it's time you're probably going to spend working on your open. I mean, you're basically writing your opening. You know, it might be a little bit more argumentative than your opening can be, so you might have to tweak it. But you're putting everything in the case in an organized fashion in a way you think people will best understand it. That's what you got to be doing before trial anyway. So it can be time consuming. It can take you know, two, three days, sometimes longer, depending upon the case, but you're helping cut time out of things you're going to do before you try the case anyway. About how much would you think about budgeting? What's your gut feeling yeah. about how much this is going to cost? You know, I would say, let's say, you know, you've got a case that you think might be worth one hundred dollars to $300,000. Do one with 50 people. You could probably get it done for two to $3,000 if you keep the case submission pretty short. If you have a high seven-figure case or one that you think has the potential for an eight-figure case, go get more people. It's worth it to spend $10,000. It really can be. You just got to figure out what you think is a responsible decision for that particular case and the likelihood of whether you think it will get tried or not. So that's about it. I strongly recommend for those who haven't tried them, give it a try on the right case, and it can really help you out. Awesome. That's another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm Tim Cronin. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.